I'm Richard Lannan, Rides with Cannon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nozzle. The Nozzle team captures photos, videos and drone footage from locations across the UK to create content for your social media and case studies for your website. To find out more about Nozzle's pay-as-you-go and monthly packages, visit nozzle.media. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk with Deborah Hendry, who is the Managing Director of Colour Seal Limited. In this conversation, Deborah talks us through her fenestration journey all the way from how it started to the position she's in today. So, without further ado, let's get started. Deb, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for coming on. How did you get into the fenestration world? How did I get into the fenestration world? Well, not on purpose. So when I was younger, my dad brought me and my sister up. And in the 80s, you just went to leave school, get a job and earn some money. So... I left school at 16 and applied for a job in the local paper for a receptionist at a car um, replacement parts wholesalers and went for my interview and that night the manager, um, Malcolm Dobson, who was called, rang me and said, oh, I'm sorry, you haven't got the job. The job had gone to another girl, Amanda, she was much prettier than me. But he did say to me in the in the conversation, I do have a job, a job, you know, filing in the office if you want. So yeah, I'll take it. So I just wanted a job and a wage. So I took this job and I'm just sat in this office, in the purchasing office, filing replenishment reports day in, day out into these files. And um, it was a nice company to work for. And I sort of progressed on to doing order entry in the purchasing department. And it was sort of computerised, but very early computers. I remember when I was first getting a fax machine there. We had a telex machine, but getting a fax machine was quite amazing how it worked. You know, I couldn't understand it. So I did some, yeah, I worked doing order entry, and then I moved into doing some purchase ledger. I was purchase ledger assistant, then I was purchase ledger controller. And then I had a little stint of doing sales ledger. I think it was to cover somebody on maternity leave. And then I went back into the buying office and I was assistant buyer. And then I was the buyer for that branch. So this company had 12 branches around the country and I was in the Bradford branch. And it was a great company to work for. We used to have trade days. So it was like um, a wholesalers. We've got car care department, uh, accessories, replacement parts and tools. And we had these trade days. And I remember one trade day in Bradford, we we took a million pounds in the day. We'd all have a big party afterwards. And it was just fun, really fun place to work. Then I got moved from Bradford because there was a stockholding issue at Manchester branch. They've got sort of like a 1.2 million pound stockholding. And for what they were turning over, it needed to be around 700. So I was sent there to sort that out. Um, so I was there for a good year, more, probably 18 months and yeah, I got it more or less sorted out. And then then the recession hit and they made me redundant. So the same day they made me redundant from Manchester branch, they rehired me back at Bradford. So I was back there. But it changed a lot. It wasn't quite the same. Um, and then I went on to an independent on the same, um, same estate, doing the same thing and moved there, did a bit of sales and again ended up doing the buying and the purchasing which I enjoyed. And then I'd met my future husband and now ex-husband, had a couple of kids and went back to work part-time for the, for the same company. 
Uh, oh, ironically, the first company I worked for ended up buying that independence. I ended up working back for them again, <laughs> which was rather <laughs> odd. And yeah, to cut a long story short, um, I went back part time and then on the back of a, a timber company that my ex-husband had had for sort of 12 months, we, we set up a PVC company, just manufacturing windows, small scale, sort of back street, just a few windows a week. And as that grew, I became busier with that side. So I left my part-time job at the only company I'd ever really worked for. So I was mum and working on our little business. I was just doing the paperwork, the accounts, raising invoices, stuff like that, and payroll, which back in the day was on, it was all manual on like tables, working out your national insurance and stuff like that. And yeah, so we got this small PVC fabrication business in Dewsbury and Around, might get the year slightly wrong, but probably 2001-ish, we had an inquiry for a build. A local builder was building 27 houses. He wanted cream windows. But back then, you got mahogany white. I think oak might have been out by then, but certainly cream wasn't. So sort of doing research, we looked into it and found you could send them to the continent to be painted, but it was super expensive. And... Researched the paint, set up a bit of a makeshift booth and managed to paint these windows for this guy. I don't think there was enough health and safety in place at that point, but that's how the colour side started. And then, yes, we were running two businesses at that point, one that's manufacturing windows, one that's colouring windows, and they were doing a lot of inter-trading. So decided the best thing was shut one down and just have either a manufacturer that colours or a colour coater that manufactures shows the colour coater that manufactures. So hence, we were just colour seal. Moved to some new premises. My ex-husband's relationship was rocky anyway. And we ended up getting divorced 2008 and tried to work alongside each other in the business, but that doesn't really work. So long story short, I ended up um, taking out a loan and buying him out of the business. He, But he took the manufacturing side. I literally... I stopped manufacturing. If I needed any windows, I'd just buy them in and just have the colour inside. And we had two spray booths um, and a drying area. It wasn't a proper drying room, but it was a warm room. And so from that day on, I was on my own. But I loved I loved it. I was really passionate about my business. I, I love dealing with people. I love looking after customers. I'm very customer-focused. So, yeah, the day... The money transferred and I had to ask for the keys back. wasn't a pleasant day, but, you know. And then it was literally about a week later, I had a brain hemorrhage. <gasps> yeah, which wasn't very nice. Well, it was, I say it's a funny story, it's not funny at all. But I had this brain hemorrhage and I went to the hospital and they said to me, you've got a tension headache, go home and take some paracetamol. And I went, went home, my stepdaughter was babysitting for my children because they were, um, what would they have been, 10 and 12 then. And I was, I remember I spoke to my family. My family lives in Cornwall, my dad and my sister, my sister's family. And I must have been in and out of consciousness. Really, I didn't really know what I was saying. So that was on a Sunday. And then the Monday morning, my friend from up the road took me down to my GPs. My GP said, you, you are going to the hospital now, you need to scan so from that, they saw I had a bleed, blue lighted over to the LGI in Leeds. And I don't remember a lot of it. I think 
it was all much worse for my family than me. So I do recall being in the high dependency ward in the LGI and this guy called Farouk explaining to me how I can't have surgery there because the, the surgeon who could do it was on holiday in Goa or somewhere. And I remember him, one thing I do remember clearly is him explaining to me that Nurse Neil, who was sat next to me, would travel in the, with, in the ambulance with me over to Hull. So I ended up over, over in Hull. Uh, in the meantime, my family from Cornwall, uh, so my dad, my sister, husband, my two nieces were all travelling up to my house to look after my kids. And I was in Hull. I remember, my, remember them visiting, my niece fainting, banging her head on the floor. And other than that, I don't remember a lot until I was coming to. But um, for my family, it wasn't very nice. They waited whilst I was in surgery and they got told to go because it was going to drag on longer. They called them that night at my house and said, it's not looking good. She might not pull through. If she does, high chance she's going to be paralysed. But I'm a stubborn, (laughs) I'm very stubborn. (laughs) And I wasn't ready to go, clearly. (laughs) I still see my children grow up properly. Um, so I, I did survive that. It was, I say it's a funny tale because so many things could have gone wrong. I had a second bleed during the surgery, even to the point when I had to lay flat for days and to the point when they were going to come and take my lumbar plunge out and let me sit up. They explained thoroughly what would happen. They said, oh, you feel a real weird dragging and we're going to apply really hard pressure onto where the wound is and stitch you up, dress you, you can sit up then. And I waited all day because I really wanted to sit up in my bed. And this junior nurse, junior doctor, sorry, came around and did all that. They, you know, applied the pressure, pulled the, it was a horrible feeling, pulled this tube out, put a big plaster on me and turned me around, sat me up. And as he walked away, I could just feel all my fluid coming out of my spine because he'd forgotten to stitch me. So, yeah, it was, I'm very, very lucky to be here. <laughs> very lucky to be here. So a few more days in hospital, I went home. My dad and my sister were on shifts looking after me. I think my sister took the first week where she drove me down to work and I was allowed, I think, two hours a day to be in work. And then they took me back again. (laughs) And then the second week I was allowed in for half a day. And then I gradually got back to, you know, to to working normally. But like I say, it was much worse for them than than me because I don't remember any of it. So, yeah, that was an interesting start to sort of running the business on my own, if you like. So where are we now? 2009, met a new partner uh, that same year, and that was going okay. The business was going well. And in 2011, very unexpectedly, found myself pregnant, very unplanned. So by the September of that year, uh, along came my youngest, and... Being two days old, she just came into work with me. Wow. I didn't really have a lot of option. Well, I suppose I could have done... Well, no, I didn't really, but it was quite easy. When she was tiny, it was quite easy because she'd just sit in a little rocking chair. She'd wake up for a feed or a change and then go back down. So it was it was easy until she became mobile. Mm. And then she had to go to nursery. But all the time, loving running my business, you know, her highs and lows, there was times of, you know, times when, oh gosh, I'm going to have to send them home early today, I've not got enough working. So I don't have any salespeople. But, yeah, it was great. By 2016, I'm ready to relocate into more new premises again. So that's what I did. So it was, the premises were a sing- similar size, but the warehouse was 
bigger, if you like. If you, the factory space was bigger because the office size was smaller. So relocated over the Christmas of 2015-2016, I think it was. Yeah, 2015-2016, over that Christmas and into January because it doesn't happen overnight, does it? And, yeah, carried on from there. Um, I love my focus on the business is I try and understand it from a fabricator's point of view and if a fabricator sends some windows and, you know, frames, sashes, sills to a colour coater to paint, for them to understand their production and plan their production, they need to understand exactly what day those frames are going back into for assembly and stuff. So I'm always quite passionate about that. And I think it's, it goes through my business. You know, we're very customer-focused and it's all about what's best for the customer. So I have found that when we've obtained a new a new customer, they've stayed with us. And a lot of my customers have been with, with us since like 2004. So I'm quite proud of that. I think we must be doing something right. So where am I now? 2016. Yeah, my... So when, when my little girl came along, very unexpectedly, my then partner moved in with me and his two girls that were part-time, his two girls, very complicated family got engaged, going to get married, but then he decided he wanted to be single. So I don't mind telling you all this, but I'm just in a really great place where I am now. And my two passions in my life and my family and Colour Seal, I live for it. I absolutely love it. Work with some great people in this industry. One of, in 2017, we did the, we heard about the, peak, the Paddle to Pedal um, I think you did a podcast yes. with Sarah Hitch and she, yes. she was going to do the next one, but met some amazing people on there, amazing ladies in the industry and the support guys. It was really fun to do, really horrible in parts as well. But I think from that, from doing that, it, I think it heightened colour seals, heightened their appearance in the industry. I hope it did anyway. Don't know. But yeah, met some great people. Obviously, Gary Morton, it was for the GM fundraising charity. Made friends with Claire O'Hara. She's just amazing. Yeah, so finished the paddle to pedal. I had had an amazing week with the most amazing people in the industry and just got back to work, continued trying to promote my business and enjoying it. I was loving it. We actually, that paddle to pedal prompted myself and Gary Morton to set up a small colour seal Midlands business, which did really well for us. We only actually had it running for a couple of years because then it got to a point where we needed to grow it. My daughter at home was, what, seven, seven or eight at the time, and I would have needed to be in the Midlands Mm. two or three times a week. So we both mutually decided, actually, you know, let's just close it down. I can still cover the Midlands from Yorkshire with the van going down there once a week. So we made the decision at the beginning of 2020 or into 2019 to close that down. And then obviously straight after that, mm. March 2020, everybody closed down. And that was a strange time, you know, just not knowing what to do. Because I don't have a partner in business, it's not you don't really know who to talk to. Mm. So we did what we needed to, shut the doors, furloughed everybody. And beautiful weather but you just you don't know what's going to happen. I remember at the time thinking, I'm not going to pay my suppliers. I want to see if this furlough works. 
I was worried because there were all sorts of rumours going around. Yeah. See if the furlough works. And when it did work, obviously, then we paid all our suppliers and things. And probably about six weeks in, thinking they didn't say stop manufacturing. And then I heard a few other people start to go back. So I started going in just a couple of times a week. So I needed to understand because we're not manufacturing a product. We've got our customers' products in our factory. And I needed to understand what I'd got in that we hadn't touched yet, what I'd got in that we'd painted, what I'd got in that was ready to go out, and all the orders that we had in. You know, what's going to happen to these? They're all going to be cancelled. So I started to go in a couple of times a week and I'd take my daughter some days and then gradually see people going back and I was getting in touch with customers saying, right, these are the orders we've got in, we've got this in our factory of yours and just trying to see where we were with everything. And the industry started coming back and I thought, I need, I'm going to have to bring two or three into the factory. So I gradually put, brought people back into the factory and it wasn't until I realised I needed to bring someone else into the office, I thought, I can't really bring my daughter in. Well, we did as everybody did, you know, put the screens yeah, up and yeah. all the hands there. So then I had to hire a nanny for the, my daughter the days that I could need, wanted to go into work. <laughs> and, yeah, we, as, as every other business, we just gradually came back. What I found amazing out of all those 300-odd orders on our system, every single one of those orders happened except for one. Wow. Which I found amazing. I yeah. thought these will all be cancelled, you know. Particularly, there was a lot of composite doors. I think nearly 300 of them were composite door orders. I thought, these aren't going to happen. Honestly, every bar one order happened, albeit very chaotic at the time. And then we all know what happened after that. It just went crazy. So then it was spending the next couple of years, well, next year, sorry, of just absolute manic busy. You know, you couldn't, there weren't enough hours in the day. Our lead times were stretching out. We normally have five-day lead time. You know, we try and work that Monday to Monday, Tuesday to Tuesday, so it's very uniform for, for all of our customers. So, yeah, it's been, it's was manically, manically busy. Um, and I hate letting customers down. So, you know, and I'm trying to say, look, I can't, I can't paint it for two weeks. I hated saying those words, yeah. but what could you do? But I think everybody was understanding then because everybody was seeing the lead times just stretch out and out. As ours did, as everybody's did. So went from quite sleepless nights, trying to come back from COVID, to in the July of 21, my lease had come up. I hate moving my factory, I won't do it again. My lease had come up and the agent working for my landlord said, oh, you know, there might be an option to buy. I said, oh, yeah, if there's an option to buy, I might look at it. He said, yeah, there could be an option to buy in 12 months, there's could be, it might be I do this. It wasn't just my unit, it was another unit next door, which I thought, you know, we are growing, I could do with more space. So anyway, this option wasn't an option, it was a commitment and I couldn't commit. So I said, I'll just lease again. Rewrote the lease, they'd taken out the Landlords and Tenants Act. So my solicitor said, you have to have it in there. It's the only thing that protects you. I said, we'll put it back in and we're all good to go. To which they mm. issued me a Section 25 to get out got six months to leave find a new premises and leave so from that day I didn't really sleep <laughs> so six months to find new premises relocate the whole factory was quite stressful to say the least oh. um Andy was my production manager been absolutely amazing throughout all you know he'd come out and look at units for me when we found we did we did find somewhere it's a lot bigger it's Half the size of Gwent. So I was in 12,000 square foot. I've moved to 18,000 now. 
and you know just help planning laying out the factory he's been absolutely amazing as Andy um so we we managed it we we were a month late we should have been out by the end of December we were finally out by the end of January but yeah I didn't sleep a lot for quite a number of months as you can imagine but now we're in the new place you know it's really well set out we've got five spray booths we've got two catalytic drying rooms Uh, the layout things happen for a reason yeah you know I don't well, we wouldn't be where we are today if I'd have stayed in that old unit. So although it seemed horrific at the time, things always happen for a reason, don't they? And I'm sure that did. The location we're in now is brilliant. We're on a busy main road, much better motorway access and much more capacity. So, yeah, that's where we are today. And that's how I got there, which is probably not your traditional route. Wow. I think, honestly, <laughs> in my head I was thinking that this could be the first podcast that gets turned into a film. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but I, I love it I love the industry I'm so passionate about it and I hope it, it it feeds down through my office staff and into my workforce you know it's so important to look after our customers it's it's just the way I am I'm quite a people person and yeah we've, we've, we're settled in the new factory now it was it was a difficult move because there was delays on everything as there was at the beginning of the year but um, now we're in a, a great place and just want to continue looking after our customers and service in the industry because colour's growing without a doubt and you know there's many reasons people should offer it let you know mainly obviously you're going to get a bigger profit margin for no more work really and the homeowners I think are now starting to understand they can have well I think they've known for a while they can have any colour door they want but they can now start having any colour window and having their roof lines, the faces, the soffit, match the colour of the windows, which looks really outstanding. So, yeah, I think, touch wood, I think we're only heading, although it's scary times, I think colour will continue to grow. Brilliant. And this industry, hopefully. <laughs> so, a few questions. Going right back to the start with the split, did you decide to go with the colour side because that was more your thing from the start? Yes, I was more passionate about the colour side. And the reason I told the whole story about the place where I worked, in fact, I remember thinking, when I get to the end of this, I'll explain why I've gone through all that. So, I, yeah, I was employed as a filing clerk, but the girl who got the receptionist job remained a receptionist. But the amount of things I learned within that that one company... I utilise a lot of it today. Yes. You know, some of the systems I've put in place for our purchase ledger schemes and it's all, I learned so many different things. So I'm really glad I didn't get the receptionist job and I was just filing these replenishment reports. But also that is an important thing because a lot of people see, you know, purchasing, invoicing, all that as the, the boring behind the scenes, but it's so important. You need to understand it. You need to understand how your books balance. You need yes. to understand yourself. Yeah, it's, it is important. Yeah. It is, which is why it's definitely a powerful thing that you had that knowledge and you knew mm. how to be, you must be naturally organised. If you were to look at my desk, I wouldn't say so. <laughs> organised chaos, maybe. I'm... I don't know. I just enjoy what I do. I really do. I love, it's like I say, it's my baby, really. My family and then Colour Seal. Brilliant. Then, mm. so the next question is going back to what happened with your head. Mm. Is there, did they give you a reason why that happened? Is there, I'm not trying to avoid it myself. No. <laughs> <Not sure you> <laughs> but if there's something. Well, back then I did smoke a little bit, so I think that contributed. And oh, I wow. think I just had a lot of stress with yeah. the divorce and the taking over the business and all that sort of thing. So I think it was a combination of 
many things. But basically, it was a weak blood vessel, and you know, it's like a, balloon, a small balloon in the vein, and it just popped. So stress so, definitely didn't help. No, I don't think so. And I've got three titanium coils in my brain now. Wow. <laughs> Does that, they don't go off on the metal detector? They don't actually, no. <laughs> Something with titanium, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my dad explaining that one every time we went to the airport. So the colour side, having the experience of having a manufacturer or fabricator, you knew how they work. So it was definitely, you're in a unique position there. Yes. And that was what was yeah. interesting for me as well. Yeah, it was. But back then as well, we were quite specific. You know, you must take all your gaskets out. You know, no gaskets in here because it's a problem to us, isn't it? Mm. Pink won't stick to gaskets. But of course then co-extruded gaskets came along. So initially we said we'll just spray over them and you'll have to clean it off with soapy water. But it's not the right way to go. So, yeah, after about a year of that, like, we, we need to mask these gaskets and try many different tips. And that's what we do today. We mask all the gaskets. It's laborious. It's all done by hand, so there's a lot. Of, it's quite labour-intensive, but it needs to be done. Most of the gaskets are all right, you know. Uh, some are greasier than others, but, yeah, that's what we do now. What's Culon like? Yeah, that's that's not too that's bad. That's not too bad, yeah. it, it's, it's those fur gaskets, which you can't have those in, really. Oh, yeah. It sort of can be done, but it's not the neat, It's not the best. But, um, yeah, so we've sort of just developed and changed as we've needed to, you know. It was fine saying rip your gaskets out, but then you soon realise they can't all do that. Although I'm, I'm sure it is possible and you can roll in a new gasket. Nobody wants to be doing that, so we had to find out what would stick to these gaskets and we mask them. No, yeah, brilliant. That, that's yeah. um, It's definitely something that understanding that process and the pain that your customers go through just means that you can solve that problem. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I say, understanding a fabricator. So that's why it's always really important to me. I used to hear, and I don't know, I don't know any specifics, but people send things because we weren't the only ones doing the painting. There was other, I think we're probably one of the largest. I don't know, we've got five spray booths. I don't know about down south who's a large colour coat down there. But um, I know others who just say, well, we'll let you know when it's ready. Come and pick it when it's ready. So I want it to be different to that. I want it to support the fabricator. So we were always, this is the day it's going to be ready. We're, we're going to, what we do, we'll do two things. Some people drop off their frames and doors to us and then collect them five days later or whatever date has been agreed. But we also send a van out. So we'll go and collect your windows. So, for example, we might go sort of Manchester way on a Monday. So we'll go and collect from everybody around Manchester, bring them back. And then the following Monday, we'll deliver them back to them. So it's important for me that the fabricator understands not just for him when they're going to sort of put them back into the production, but then for the installer who's going to install them and the homeowner, it's, if you fail, you're letting so many people down in a chain. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I've always been quite thoroughly aware of that and sort of tried to cater for, cater for that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That makes sense. The, the next part is going back into work when you were still recovering. What was it, two hours a day? Yeah, well, that was my family restricting me. I would have gone back in all day. Is that because you felt you needed to to keep the business going? Or for you? Uh, just but both. Probably a bit of both. Um, it was different. Ta- I had different, well, some staffs. Is there any staff still there? A couple, maybe. But they kept it going. I had to outsource from. I had to outsource somebody doing the, the wages because there was nobody else there that knew how to do that. And... 
yeah, it was still going, but I wanted to be there. Probably, probably my want as much as my needing to be there, just to make sure everything was running all right. So I, I still do sit in the office where I can hear them talking to customers because mm. I can't help butting in. Like, is, are you doing the right thing for the customer? I don't say that to them because they are they're very good. They're, they're great, actually. The guys in my office that uh, deal with the customers, but sometimes I might just think, we can do it. No, we can do it. We'll move this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, probably my want more than an actual necessity for me to be there. Well, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to imagine. I can't even imagine what you went through around that time. Your health being the thing, but also a lot of people listening to this podcast wouldn't know what to do. If they're in a similar situation, who do I palm this out to? Who can I? Money isn't the object here. It's actually finding someone that can do the job and will do the job. Yeah. I remember we were just... I started stocking Eurocell um, sort of roof lines and trims around that time because we were painting, well, we still paint for Eurocell, but we painted for them and we'd, I'd arranged with the sales rep there, David Smith and Tony Harrison at the time, I think they're probably different now, uh, we're going to have a bit of an open day because I'd sort of built a bit of a tray counter upstairs in the unit we were at then. And unfortunately I was in hospital. I remember I had ringing, this, ringing David Smith and saying, we, we're going to have to delay it. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking of things like that. But it's funny what goes through your mind. You just try and, you know, yeah. to keep going, don't you? But, yeah, I'm still here to tell the tale. That's amazing. It is amazing. Also, there's two other things. Sales. You don't. Do you have any salespeople now? No. So is it just you that... Well, I don't really think I sell. I mean, <laughs> uh, I will go out and visit visit customers. And, yeah, sometimes I'll say... Can I, I'm passing, can I call in and see you? Um, which is difficult if you don't know the the, the company. But yeah, no, I don't really have any salespeople. Wow. Obviously, funny. I've got the, the guys in the office do the quoting and order processing and are there to assist with customer inquiries. But yeah, so, well, maybe it is me. Maybe I do. Maybe I am the salesperson, but I don't think I am. I wouldn't, I wouldn't class myself as a salesperson. I just probably... Chat people to death. <laughs> well, I think it's it's something to do with passion, and and they do say the owner is the best person to sell because mm. you know what's going on as well. You know what you need to sell, <laughs> yeah, and but exactly. I, I think it's different. You, you, it's, to be honest, I think the best salespeople that you're not thinking of your numbers, you're just thinking of doing the best for everyone that you can for the business and, and for the staff passionate. in the business to make sure that they, you know, that there's a few, the job there for them and stuff. Yeah, and to make it better, you know. Was investing in better equipment, you know, making the process quicker, easier. But I think we all do that constantly. Yeah, after boats and Porsches. No, no. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it, it, you definitely. It's a sensible thing, and I think it's something that I've always seen. I try and invest. It's, you know, most people are looking at their business, well, you know, if they were in this for the long run, they will invest in it and they'll keep going. Mm, <clears> I yeah, think there's definitely. different companies out there. If they, they've got a different agenda, they're going to do other stuff it's for not, that money. I'm, it's not money focused for me. It's I, I just love my business um, and I really want it to succeed. I've always had that sort of philosophy. I mean, don't get me wrong, you get a comfortable lifestyle out of it, but it's, you know, there's there's been times around 2008, nine, you know, I, I just sold the family home, so I didn't need to take a wage. So I, I didn't for a few months because it needed to stay in the business. I think if we love our, if we love our business, we'll do what's best for it, won't we? Yeah. 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 And one of the reasons why I like this podcast and I like to promote people is because a lot of, of 
spectators, shall we say, don't understand the sacrifices that you make. They only see your rewards that are justified. Yeah. And they don't yeah. see those nights where you haven't well, been I've seen. I've no boat. <laughs> no boat, no yachts. <laughs> but, you know, they, they just, they can't even appreciate your sleepless nights because you're worrying about something to yeah, do with wage bills or things those, like that. Yeah. And you just, that there's, you've got to have something to reward it. Otherwise, mm. you know, it's, you're all in, you know, it's a yeah. risk. And, and not many people can do this. So I admire you for everything you've done, put it that way. Thank you. <laughs> On that note, oh, as a woman in the industry, mm-hmm. you mentioned the, bringing your daughter to work and things like that. And straight away, my mind went to my wife ha- has a business and she worked weekends. And when our son was born, I used to have to take him in to feed and then take him away again multiple times. That, that was the only way around it. So I admire you for sort of working a way that's allowed you to be at work because that's something that you're not trying to stop as a woman just because you've had a baby. So I was really no. intrigued by that. Um, and you didn't want to go straight into nursery, too little. No, I didn't. Yeah. And like I say, it was easy in the early stages because she would just sleep. And yeah. I was feeding her myself, so I'd just go into another room, feed her, change her, put her back down. Somebody, somebody would come in and visit and pay a bit, a bit of attention to her. It was it was when she, you know, we got, she got a bit bigger, I got the bouncy thing on the door. It was when she became mobile in the baby walker. Hmm. And one day she's pulling at the printer cables. I'm thinking, this is not good now. I'm going to have to make another plan. <laughs> so nursery it was. So how old did you get to then before you had to, she had to go to nursery? About five months. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's good. Because the, those walkers, they, they're they really good, actually. I yeah, once they, get, once they learn to zoom about in them mm. and they're just pulling things off shelves, it's not ideal when you're trying to work. <laughs> no, I'd say, well, that's, that's better than most, to be honest, because mm. there's a lot of people that, you know, they have to if they're in the jobs or they haven't got someone yeah. that can stay behind, then they've got to make that decision. Yeah. So how have you found the rest of the industry as a woman? Has it been good for you or is it bad? I love it. I, everybody I meet in this industry, I think, is great. I think I've not met a, a bad person I think everybody's lovely. I, I might have rose-tinted glasses. People sometimes say that to me. But there's some real characters um, and so so generous. So the charity work we do in the industry. If I – so I have – yes, I've been a female on my own running my own business, but there's many females and males in the industry that if I really needed to, I could turn to just for a chat yeah. and just say, I don't know what to do about this, don't know what to do about that. Probably one or two mainly that I did, but everybody welcomes you. I find, yeah, very welcoming, and I I love it. I can't remember whose podcast it was, and somebody was saying once you get in the industry, was it Adrian Barraclough actually? Once you get in the industry, it's very difficult to get out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely something about it, and. Uh, honestly I think the more social events that I go to you can sort of see the characters and you see the same faces Mm. and they all sort of come together and everyone knows everyone and I've also heard and sort of listened to the stories of companies helping one another it's not my place to say oh yeah it's a friendly industry really friendly it's not competitive I'm sure in some aspects it is I mean I'm in a great position because all my customers they might be each other's competitors but the the my I wouldn't like to say customers, but friends. Yeah. Um, so I get to meet lots of different fabricators, not so many installers. We don't deal directly with many installers, a few, uh, but door manufacturers and everybody I've come across, I think, is lovely. I like that. I like that. The last thing is going back to your lease. 
Were they okay about you with that extra month that they charge you heavily for it? That was just... uh, they charged me for it. Oh, it was more. Oh, it, I won't go into all that. I got hit with a massive delapse thing at the last minute. But, like, do you know, again, so many people rallied round. I had the whole factory repainted, all the offices redecorated, everything done. But it's a different story. Not for today. I know, I know. <laughs> it's just my mind went there because I, you know, I've not. Least many properties, but if I'm trying to sort of picture how they I couldn't have done that. much really, they've been putting people out of work, and we were only a month over, and obviously we paid the extra, hmm. the extra rent and stuff. So three questions I like to ask. Yes. Low point. Is there a low point? I know there's definitely some in there, but is there one that sticks out for you? Um. There's kind of two really. The going into lockdown was really scary just not knowing yeah so that was really scary and the having six months to find somewhere to relocate the business that was really I don't think I slept at all I cried a lot and I think that I think I was probably maybe extra emotional because we'd just come you know we were coming out of the lockdown and everybody was super busy so none of us had stopped for months and then suddenly had that to deal with as well so, yeah, maybe that was one of the low points. <laughs> and there's not really a way you can palm that off on anyone else, is there? There's not a way. Like I said, my Andy Beedham, who works, he's my, I call him production manager. He's much more than a production manager. He's great, absolutely great. Um, you know, just planning, helping us. You know, he just went out of his way so much. It was in his interest to get it right there, that, wasn't it? Well... <laughs> He said, "I don't. He's just a great guy, you know. I've, oh, he'll, if, I, if we say well, we really need these racks, he'll just go and buy the stuff and build it himself. You know, he's just he's, yeah. he's great. He's absolutely brilliant. So I don't know if I'd have been to do it without him. So he's he's been brilliant. The flip side of that, is there a high point that sticks out for you? Um, apart from my kids, which isn't really industry related, is it? Although Katie did sort of work for us for five months." <laughs> could say um probably doing that paddle to pedal it it was I didn't want to do it they kept asking me and I didn't want to do it um but I got convinced um and I'm pleased I mean I hated the cycling I hated the um abseil loved the canoeing but the whole camaraderie around it you know it was hard work but just the people I met, you know, Claire, Claire O'Hara, Katrina Rill, everybody, um, Nikki Dunbar, I could go on, I could name every one of them. And they're just, it was such a special time. Um, the guys supporting Alan Sadler, Graham Bailey, and obviously Gary. Yeah, that was probably a high point for me. Brilliant. Last question. The yeah, hardest one of them the all one for that some. I'm just going to struggle with. <laughs> If you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from within the industry, who would it be? So many great people, that's the problem. Gosh. I mean, they've all got... It, for me, it needs to be somebody quite entertaining who's probably got some tales to tell. Well, that's loads of them, isn't it? <laughs> like with Gary Morton, which takes me to a funny story because it, it was a time I wasn't sleeping much. Gary and I had gone out for dinner and... We laugh about it now, but I was falling asleep at his stories by the end of the night. <laughs> it was because I was exhausted, but I said, you're just boring me. I mean, he carried big entertaining. Um, I'd say Adrian Barraclough, he's got so many stories to tell. But I think 
two weeks with Adrian's jokes. <laughs> I'm not really sure how I would cope with that. Oh, there's so many wonderful people, but I think if it was two weeks, it'd be the lady I did the canoeing with on the paddle pedal, which was Tina Morehouse of Oakland Glass. Wow. She's amazing. She's beautiful inside and out, and we'd just sit and have a giggle. So I'm going to say Tina. Fantastic. Deb, thank you very much for your time today. It's no open worries. invitation. You're welcome back anytime. So we'll find out what <laughs> thank happens you. to the next part of the journey. Oh, gosh. And yeah. <laughs> so if it's a bit, uh, a bit less chaotic. Hopefully, <laughs> yes, but it's very successful. So thank you very much. Thank you. That was a great conversation with Deborah. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.